I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and actual survivors themselves. The When Dating Hurts podcast has covered many facets of the domestic violence issue, but today's topic is a new one for us. It's difficult enough for the abused to find shelter for themselves, but also their children and their pets. Added to that problem is many shelters do not have the means to house companion animals. For that reason, many survivors stay in abusive homes for fear of subjecting their pets to continued abuse if they're left behind. And sometimes, it's not only abuse, it's torture or death. An organization established in 1987 sought to do something to bring animals out of crisis. We will talk about that organization in this episode. Today, we welcome Katie Campbell, the Director of Collaboration and Outreach for an organization called Red Rover. Hi, Katie. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm stoked to be here. Uh, You're very welcome. Red Rover was launched 35 years ago as a nonprofit based in Sacramento, California, and it's funded solely by private donations and does not receive any government funding. So what can you tell us about those early days of Red Rover? Sure. So we were founded in 1987, and we are previously Mm -hmm. called United Animal Nations. And our mission really was to protect animals um, in the global space. So we did a lot of work, including, you know, helping with stop elephant poaching in Africa, whaling, horse slaughter, pet overpopulation, and animals left behind in natural disasters. And then in 2006, we had a leadership change. And so our president and CEO, Nicole Forsyth, joined us. And we really started to kind of shift our focus and really focus in on um, issues here in the U.S. and Canada. At the heart of of all of our work really is bringing people and and pets out of crisis together. We really started with that Red Rover Responders Program, which we like to call Mm. uh, the Red Cross for Animals, you know, where we train volunteers all throughout the U.S. and Canada on how to provide temporary emergency sheltering services in natural disasters, cruelty situations, neglect situations. And we've even expanded to have our responders volunteers assist us in actually creating pet-friendly spaces at domestic violence shelters. So that's really at the at the core of of our organization is really just helping people and pets um, out of crisis. It's just such an obvious thing to do and it's something that I just frankly had never thought about it being such a a strong effort. You know I love the way it started out now it's it's made its way into domestic violence situations and you know, that is, as as we will discuss, one of the big problems for people who are in these unhealthy relationships is that getting out is so hard because they can't necessarily get out and take their pets with them. Now, I'll apologize up front for this next setup because it's a little bit of a long one, but I think it's important 
because the statistics on the Red Rover website are just shocking. And here are just a few. 71% of women in domestic violence shelters report their abuser threatened, injured, or killed a pet as a means of control. Another one. Nearly half of victims stay in abusive situations rather than leave their pets behind. 52% of survivors in shelters leave their pets with their abusers. And the last one that I have is as many as 25% of survivors will return because the abuser is using their pet as a means to get the person back. So Katie, when I've thought about people who are stuck in these relationships and they're being abused, you know, I realize now that I haven't even given much thought, ample thought about what happens to their pets. So what specifically does your organization do to protect and save pets who are in these horrible crisis environments? I think that's a great question. And I would just start by saying, you know, Bill, you're not alone and not thinking about pets in domestic violence. Um, you know, I often call it helping folks have their light bulb moment and really realizing that there is a connection between animal violence and, and human violence. You know, I'll admit before I came to Red Rover, I did not even think about it myself. I grew up as a lifelong animal lover. I've worked in nonprofit in the nonprofit sector and, and helping provide resources to folks experiencing domestic violence for some time. And I never put those two things together until I learned about Red Rover. So I think that's one of the most important things that we do is really help raise awareness around that issue of the, the link between pets and domestic violence. You know, we do a lot of work uh, around that awareness by providing just talks and presentations about the link. If you go to redrover.org slash dvhelp, you'll find some free downloadable resources, some posters, some wallet cards um, to really just help raise awareness around the issue. And beyond raising awareness, you know, we help domestic violence survivors find safety with their pets through our Safe Escape grants. We started those in 2007, and we essentially help cover the cost of boarding while a survivor is at a domestic violence shelter. In about 2012, we really realized that that's an expensive grant program. If you've ever boarded a pet before, you know how expensive it can be. And so we decided to transition a little bit and add our safe housing grants. And so that's really where we're able to provide assistance to domestic violence shelters and even animal shelters to create those pet housing spaces for the survivors' pets. That's really just been a tremendous program. I think we've provided about 165 grants at this point, totaling about $2 million. And we're really working towards a huge goal of helping 25% of U.S. domestic violence shelters um, becoming pet-friendly by 2025. Um, so we've got a, a ways to go. We're currently at about 15%, but we're really committed to helping more domestic violence shelters become pet-friendly. So let's talk about the grants a little bit then. Mm -hmm. There are a couple parts to it. One of them is that it comes to my mind is how do you secure the funds in the first place? How do you get the you know, how do you get those funds? And, you know, who's, is that just people, uh, the Bernie Sanders approach, you know, where everybody's sending in their $27 or whatever it is, or 
are these uh, huge organizations writing big checks? How does that work? And how, how, if someone wants to do this, what do they do? Sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, we do not receive any federal or government funding. All of this does come through a, a variety of avenues. So individual donors, okay. um, just like you say. We also have some okay. corporate donors, um, and we also receive some, some grant funding from some other folks as well. And if folks want to learn how they can donate and support these efforts, just go visit redrover.org. And we've got all the information there on how to donate and where those dollars go to support people and pets in crisis. I mean, is it like any amount of money is okay? I mean, is that the way it works? Absolutely. You know, we encourage those $5 donations to as much as you're able to provide. Absolutely every little bit helps and certainly goes right back out the door again to support creating more pet-friendly spaces for uh, the pets of domestic violence survivors. Besides going to the website, generally speaking, if there is a domestic violence organization or some organization like that, and they want to set up some kind of a shelter situation, what is the process? Um, If you have a a local domestic violence shelter and they're interested in becoming pet friendly or, or what it means to create a pet housing program, you know, certainly give them the website information. We offer support in actually creating those pet housing programs. So we started a collaborative project with Greater Good Charities Rescue Rebuild Program in 2021 called Don't Forget the Pets. And it is a project designed to help organizations and communities walk through this entire process of creating a pet housing program. Everything from the link between human and animal violence to the importance of collaboration to um, really designing, renovating, constructing your, your pet friendly spaces. So not only do we give the grant money, but we're also there to really provide that technical assistance um, that organizations might need in creating this. Now, when they're ready to go, they've got their policies and procedures, they, they've got their construction plans in place, and they want to you know, apply for our safe housing grants, all they need to do is go to redrover.org slash safe housing. They're going to get all the information for the grant um, opportunities under those safe housing grants including the eligibility process. The website walks them through the process step-by-step. And I just have to say that grant application, that process is pretty simple. You know, many of our domestic violence organizations and even our animal shelter organizations, you know, they're used to applying for those federal state dollars. And the application process can be pretty lengthy. Our process is much more simple. And so it's I would say an easy process for organizations to apply. Yeah, that's good not to have a big hurdle to getting it done. You know, it's it's one thing to really want to do. It's another thing that's trying to chew through 20 or 30 pages with uh, and digging up information. And it's like, oh, my God, will we ever get this? You know, we're never going to get this grant because, you know, we can't get through. We're struggling. It's true. I'm glad you set it up that way. That's wonderful. I was just going to say, you know, I think organizations have enough challenges to creating these kind of pet housing programs. And so we really do want to provide as much support and as make it as easy as possible. You know what it's like to have to chew through that paperwork and you're not putting someone through that. So that's fabulous. Rather than be totally reactive to this issue, Red Rover is promoting educational reform to encourage social and emotional learning, particularly empathy for animals and people in elementary school. So what can you tell us about that? Bill, I'm so 
Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought this program up. So this is our Red Rover Readers program. And it really is designed to teach kids about kindness, compassion, and empathy for animals and people. And, you know, we, we do that by using children's books, essentially, and, you know, really open-ended, non-judgmental questions and discussion designed to show and, and not tell kids you know, about what it means to be empathetic and, and understand what empathy is. It's really just a very cool program. Um, it's a little bit kind of like a train the trainer model. And so we train teachers, educators, volunteers, anybody who's really interested in, in how to use children's books to have these really open-ended, non-judgmental discussions with kids. We've got a, a list of carefully curated children's books. There is a curriculum that goes with each book and really just walks folks through that that process of of the social emotional learning. I'm so glad you're doing that. You know, in the, in so many schools unfortunately, the idea of having healthy relationships even with your friends doesn't really come up unless something happens. The When Dating Hurts book was published in paperback in the middle of 2020 followed soon after by the ebook version. While those two were out there in the world informing about dating violence, in early 2021, I launched the When Dating Hurts podcast. Now in 2022, I'm publishing the When Dating Hurts audiobook. I did the narration myself because this is my family's story. It's also a story that can save one of your family members. Find the When Dating Hurts audiobook on Audible, Amazon, or iTunes. It's the same life-saving information from the print versions, but now in listening form. Do yourself a favor. Do your family a favor. The When Dating Hurts audiobook is available now. Is this, for the most part, we're just talking cats and dogs with Red Rover? No, you know, we absolutely help so many different kinds of traditional companion animals and non-traditional companion animals. Through our Red Rover Relief Urgent Care Grants, we provide small grants to help with emergency veterinary care, and we've certainly helped so many animals beyond dogs and cats, turtles, and birds, and hamsters, but also through our domestic violence work, we help animals beyond dogs and cats, whether that's through safe escape boarding, you know, I I know we've boarded a few and we've helped with boarding a few horses and, and goats and that sort of thing. Um, but when we help a organization create their own pet housing program, um, we certainly help them think about, okay, when you do have somebody who you know wants to leave an abuser and bring their horse with them, what are you going to do? And most often what ends up happening is they're able to use their collaborative partners to be able to provide you know that temporary boarding. Oh, good. So absolutely, you know, we we work beyond dogs and cats for sure. Okay. I'm glad we got that out there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Because I really just assumed it was going to be those two. I wasn't even <laughs> sure if it was going to be cats. I I see your pictures of your dogs in the background. and I may be joined at some point by one of the four cats who I share my office space with. So, yes. Got quite a group there. Yes, absolutely. All working from home. Yep. Yep. So you've painted a really nice picture, very accurate picture of what Red Rover does. In your position, what do you do with Red Rover? I oversee our general outreach effort across all of our programs. 
I really spend most of my time in our domestic violence assistance work. And so, you know, really helping to spread awareness about the issue of human and animal violence, helping organizations create those pet housing programs. I'm always out there looking for collaborative opportunities. You know, we've got some great collaborative partnerships with Purina and the Purple Leash Project to help us reach that goal of 25% by 2025. We also have a fabulous relationship with Greater Good Charities Rescue Rebuild Program for the Don't Forget the Pets Project and for those actual builds when we get to go out and, and help make some pet-friendly spaces. You know, we've also got a really great relationship with Atellum Global Education Foundation and the Ross University School of Veterinary Medicine, you know, where we're really looking to connect with and support more veterinary professionals in understanding, again, that link between human and animal violence. What do they do when they have a survivor who comes into their clinic? Um, you know, how do how do they respond to that appropriately um, and how do they create a plan of action so that they can get that survivor connected to the resources they need? I don't think I could do my work and I don't think Red Rover could do um, everything that we do without such strong collaborative partners. It just amazes me how your organization has just run through all the different facets. I hadn't thought about veterinarians someone comes in there with their pet and they have something else going on in their life. If the veterinarian might be thinking outside of just person plus pet, there might be, there might be a, a background story that mm -hmm. they maybe wouldn't normally have thought about, but your organization has helped them think in those areas. So that's, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think veterinarians are, are in a, in a unique position to, to really encounter some of those situations if a pet is harmed or, you know, even just coming in for a regular routine checkup, I think it's a really unique opportunity for veterinarians to, to understand what's happening and be able to provide those resources that might be needed. Yeah, that's, that's really thinking outside, you know, I think of, of the obvious, you know, I think that, that you have to think like that. You know, one statistic I saw on the website was that, that this program has added up to more than and I saw this number, which I'm sure is a lot higher, 387,260 safe nights for pets. <laughs> that's a big number. That's hard to say. <laughs> I'm and, glad you uh, said it and not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's changing as we speak every night, really, but that's remarkable. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I saw here, it says Red Rover Safe Housing Grants have created the first pet-friendly domestic violence shelter in 10 states. You would think there might they might be there, mm -hmm. and yet you've helped establish those. What a track record! There's one state left that does not have a pet friendly domestic violence shelter that we're working on, but they do have uh, what we would call offsite housing options. So there there are resources in that state, but you know we really are committed to making sure that survivors have those resources when they need them. We talked a little bit about awareness earlier. For us, it is absolutely important that we help create those resources, those community-based resources, but it's also incredibly important that we raise awareness that these types of programs even exist. Mm -hmm. There was a, a recent report that came out of the Urban Resource Institute and the National Domestic Violence Hotline called the URI PALS Report, and they surveyed, I think it was about 3,000 survivors who were accessing resources through the hotline, you know, about their experiences of domestic violence and pets. I believe it was 72% of 
of folks calling in asking for those resources who didn't even know that a pet housing program was was a possibility. They didn't even know that they existed anywhere. And so, you know, we're really committed to creating those resources, but also making sure that folks know those resources are out there and making sure that our domestic violence organizations promote those resources and let their communities know that they that there are these kinds of resources for survivors. So that leads me to a, a question, and that is, let's say that Let's take the most common situation. There's a, let's say, a man and a woman in a relationship that's unhealthy and there's abuse. And let's just say he's abusing her mm-hmm. to make it simple. And there are pets involved. So let's say this woman reaches out to this domestic violence agency in her town or close by somewhere. And in the midst of a conversation, she says, And I'm also worried about my dog because he kind of becomes a surrogate for me at times, you know? So, you know, my boyfriend gets mad at me and smacks my dog and get out of here and kicks the dog and throws things. What happens then? Let's say this domestic violence agency is pet friendly and they can help. What might that scenario look like? Like how do they come in and scoop up that animal and save the day? I think it will look a little different depending on on each domestic violence organization and you know sort of how they manage their intake. Ideally what what's going to happen is the survivor is going to be able to leave with the pet and go to whatever that safe location is to access the shelter um, and that organization. You know, ideally the survivor is going to be able to get any documentation for the pet, you know, any um, vet records, that sort of thing, maybe be able to to bring something of the pets, you know, like a bed or a, a special blanket, something like that. Something for comfort. Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes, that's just not the case. And, you know, so we really encourage domestic violence organizations to, to be ready for that, you know, have those pet supplies ready so that we can make the transition for the survivor and the pet as comfortable as can be. You know, most organizations will do an intake process with the pet parent and the pet, you know, which looks a a, a lot the same. They'll, They'll ask some questions about the pet. How did the pet spend their day usually? You know, did they lounge on the couch? Did they play outside? Where did they sleep at night? Was it on a bed? Was it in a crate? You know, was it on their own dog bed? And so, Hopefully, the domestic violence organization can then try and set up that similar environment as much as possible, um, because that's really going to help just ease that pet into this transition. Beyond that, then the organization's really going to work with that pet parent, that survivor, um, to help them secure some long-term housing um, that's going to be pet-friendly, whatever that might look like. And so they're they're going to transition. They're going to find success, whatever success looks like for that survivor and that pet. So I, I don't know if that, it really does kind of vary, I think, by by each situation. But I hope that gives you a little bit of insight on, on what it might look like. That's very helpful. I just kind of, I mean, I guess sometimes it might be meet me at a McDonald's and I'll hand off yeah. and jump back in my car and get yeah. back into my life. So they yeah. have to give their dog a hug and a kiss and see what happens next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if law enforcement is responding to a domestic abuse, domestic violence call, it will be that the law enforcement officer is then able to take the survivor and the pet at that moment. So that's also one important avenue that that we're working towards is helping to make sure 
law enforcement officers also know about pet-friendly resources. So when they are responding in that moment, they know to ask about pets and they know what resources they're able to, to provide at that moment and get that survivor and pet connected. Most of the time, survivors are not going to share about pet abuse. Katie, is there anything we might not have covered that you wish to talk about? Before we go, yeah, thanks, Bill, for that opportunity. Sure. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about how folks can donate to support our work here at Red Rover. Um, but one of the the best ways that folks can support the work that we do at Red Rover is by becoming a Red Rover Responders volunteer. So folks can go to redrover.org/responders, find out more about the program, how to take the training. It's free. It's online. It's go at your own pace. And then you can really go and, and help us in many different ways, you know, either through an emergency disaster response, helping us create those pet-friendly spaces for the pets of survivors, and many other opportunities to, to help support the work that we do at Red Rover. Now, thank you. Thank you for putting that in there, because I know that people listening to this mm-hmm. will look at it like, well, maybe I can't do that part, or maybe I can't do that part. And I don't work for a domestic violence agency and I can't see me sending up a shelter, but I want to do something because my heart goes out to this situation, whether it's for the pets, whether it's for the survivors. Mm-hmm. And this is a way that they can kind of help out, you know, and, and give as much as they can. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's just so many ways I think that folks can support um, their own community and, and, you know, people and their pets. And it certainly doesn't have to be through monetary donation just by sharing that information about the link between human and animal violence or becoming a responders volunteer. Um, it's just, you know, really a great way for folks to get involved in our mission. They can help out in small ways and, and really big ways if yeah. they can, you know, if they have the resources to do that. Sure. Katie, as you know, someone's pet can be as loved as their child. I know a few people who take better care of their pets than themselves. The idea of someone abusing a pet in any manner is just so upsetting to me. It really is. So thank you and Red Rover for all you do and all you facilitate others to do. I cannot imagine the joy that's felt when reuniting someone's cat or dog or hamster or snake or gerbil to them. That must be such a wonderful feeling. So thank you for speaking with us today. Bill, it's really been my pleasure, um, and thank you for all that you do to raise awareness around the issue of domestic violence alone, but you know, also this issue of domestic violence in pets. You know, it, it really does take a community, I think, to support our survivors and their pets, and so I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I heard about your organization, and I thought, I will be so fortunate if I can get these people to talk with me, because I figure you've got to be really busy. You've got a lot of white space to work in. There's so much that you could be doing. And I know, you know, we've kind of been cat people here all these years. I had a dog when I was a little kid, but we've had cats and they really do become family members. You know, they're just as loved and we have grieved mightily when they have passed. So the idea of coming in there and rescuing them one way or another and then hanging on to them until the survivor can get loose and get back with them. And again, I just feel like being there when that handoff takes place, I'd, I'd love to see pictures of that. I'd love to see video on that one. <laughs> yeah. That's something you might want to put on your website if you don't have it already is, is when they 
animal goes back. I mean, that must be incredible. I mean, that dog would be jumping all over that person and yeah, joy and happiness and their hearts would be just popping. We at Red Rover, unfortunately, don't even get to see that too often because we work directly um, with the Because you're more on the front end, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we're almost a little bit behind the scenes and not being able to see that. But I do get to hear those stories and they are, you know, this this can be challenging work at times. You know, I'll, I'll fully admit that. But getting to know and hear those stories of when survivors find that safety together or they do find whatever that long-term success is for them. Um, that really does, I think, feed the soul and, and you know, keep, keep folks moving forward in this work. Well, you really should ask them to shoot video and put that on your website because that's really the goal, if you think of it. The goal isn't to get the animal. Well, of course, part of the goal is to get the animal into a safe place, mm-hmm. but the reuniting part, yes, that's just, I mean, I tear up just thinking about that moment. I really do. It just yeah. really strikes me. Yeah, you know, um, getting survivor stories can be really challenging sometimes just because of safety and and confidentiality. We do have a a couple of videos, I believe, on the website, you know, where we've had survivors sometime after they experienced the abuse share about their experiences with it. It is still really, really emotional and and heart-wrenching for them to share what their experience was like, but then heartwarming to know that that they were able to find that that safety together. It, it is truly a powerful, powerful moment. Well, look, yeah. just thank you so much for stopping everything you're doing. I know you're busy and for speaking with us. And I, I hope I catch up with you again and just keep track of some of the success and progress you're making. You know, you're, you're 49 states down. You've got one more to go. I won't out whoever it is, you know, wherever <laughs> they are. You can tell me after we're finished. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be our little secret. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. And I'm happy to come back anytime. Good. Thank you. Appreciate it. The When Dating Hurts book was published in paperback in the middle of 2020, followed soon after by the ebook version. While those two were out there in the world informing about dating violence, In early 2021, I launched the When Dating Hurts podcast. Now, in 2022, I'm publishing the When Dating Hurts audiobook. I did the narration myself because this is my family's story. It's also a story that can save one of your family members. Find the When Dating Hurts audiobook on Audible, Amazon, or iTunes. It's the same life-saving information from the print versions, but now in listening form. Do yourself a favor. Do your family a favor. The When Dating Hurts audiobook is available now.